Welcome to the next chapter with Prim Saripapat. I'm your host, host, Prim Saripapat. Wow, I can't believe it's finally here. It's taken me a good four to five years for all this to finally come to fruition. I actually launched another podcast about the mental side of sports back in 2015. But back then, the timing wasn't right. It was still pretty green. I had a lot of growing up to do on a personal level. I hadn't made the connection that my issues, which I'll get into later, were directly tied to how my athletic career had ended. And on a professional level, honestly, I was still too much of a perfectionist. Welcome into First Take. I'm Prince Rippetat. Alongside, as always, Skip Bayless here in Bristol and Stephen A. Smith. I was way more preoccupied with being the flawless sports anchor on TV instead of just being me and letting my authentic side really shine through. But now, the timing's finally right. The next chapter is about how athletes cope with life transitions. Now, over the course of one's career, an athlete will face a number of transitions at both the macro and micro level. The one I'm most concerned with is retirement and the transition away from sport. How an athlete manages this pivotal period, in my opinion, affects not only their ability to adjust to the real world, but how they handle other critical junctures and transitions later in life. Some athletes transition away from sport really well, while others, most I would say, struggle in some capacity. So on one end of the spectrum, you might have somebody like a Dwayne The Rock Johnson who was able to transfer all the lessons he learned from his playing days to his post-athletic life. Of course, in the beginning, his football dreams were completely shattered. He went undrafted in the NFL, got cut from the CFL just two days after his first professional game, went home with only $7 in his pocket. Despite all that, though, The Rock found a way to thrive as a pro wrestler, and then as an actor, and then as a producer. Now with a net worth of over $300 million, he's somebody you can find on the Times 100 Most Influential list. So you do have athletes that do really well after sports. On the other end of the spectrum, you might have somebody like a Lenny Cook, a New York City basketball prodigy who, in high school, was projected to be as good or even bigger than LeBron James. Poor decisions and poor advice led him down the wrong path. He thought about going to college, opted out, decided to enter the 2002 NBA draft, With the second pick in the never got drafted, draft. never made it to the NBA, and never found peace with how it all ended. As Cook said to one publication, there are a million Lenny Cook stories out there. So you ask the question, why do athletes struggle with this transition? Well, one reason has to do with the tunnel vision mentality they adopt while playing. While that approach benefits their performance on the quarter field, as sports psychologist Dr. Michael Gervais explains, it also comes at a cost. When athletes are really good and their entire community is focused around what they do, they foreclose on all other identities. So what ends up happening is you fuse your identity with what you do. Now, when you go step across the line and go compete, it's not just a game, it's identity risk. Identity risk. Why else would your brain say, 
light up the fight and flight freeze mechanisms. Why would your brain light up that there's a threat? Because it's not a physical threat. If someone's going to hit the ball hard at you, no, it's not a physical threat. It's an identity threat. Identity. But that is not who I am. In this first season, I interview over 20 of the best athletes and experts in the world. And they come from all different backgrounds and all different sports. But the one thing they have in common is they had to prepare for the end, retirement. Sports psychologist Dr. William Parham, who's also the mental health director for the MBPA, says that is a battle athletes cannot avoid or win. The person who wins all games is father time. You will never win. So at some point, that's an open portal to a transition. And the key to that is, do I know that up front? What can I do to prepare for it? You can navigate post-career life and do so quite well, but there's no way to not have an adjustment in doing so. You can't escape because it's part of who you are and having to redefine yourself. It's just multifaceted confusion, confusion, confusion. These are some of the most athletically gifted, physically dominant figures in the world. And yet most don't realize the fragility of their athletic lives. Their mortality as a competitor somehow goes unnoticed, Unnoticed. completely ignored. And that can lead to some serious issues. Retiring from sport, as you'll hear in these interviews, requires a level of adjustment at not just the physical level, but at the mental, emotional, and social levels too. And there's research, both scientific and anecdotal, to corroborate this. The Professional Players Federation conducted a survey of over 800 former professional athletes. And out of this sample, 54% of athletes reported having concerns about their mental health and well-being following retirement. Many reported not only a loss in identity, but admitted to struggling to move on in life. Scarily, only four in 10, four in 10, sought help for any of the issues that they are going through. And the most significant factor that affected their mental health, can you guess it? Finances. When I sat down with former number one overall pick, Greg Oden, he was pretty candid about why so many athletes get into financial trouble. So now I'm, I'm playing basketball. Um, my finances are good. So now I'm taking care of my family. I'm taking care of some friends. You know, I have houses I got to provide for. I have business things that I'm involved in. Um, and all this came from basketball, you know. And so when that's taken away and when that check stops coming, it's like, okay, Every aspect of my life was affected by me getting this check from playing basketball. And when that's taken away, like, whoa, all these bridges are breaking down now. Hold on. How am I going to provide for this? How am I going to do this? You know, these people are only really hanging out with me because I was this celebrity from basketball. Now, you might be wondering, who are you? Who's Prim? Why are you doing this show and why do you get to sit down with all these big time athletes and ask them all these personal questions? Fair questions. My answer is this, which lies in my story. While most of you know me as a sports anchor and radio personality, probably from ESPN. ESPN legal analyst Roger Cossack. So Roger, what happens next? 
Before I got into broadcasting, the first 20 some years of my life were spent as an elite tennis player. I started at seven and by 12, I was one of the top prospects in the country training at a tennis academy in Florida alongside people like Andy Roddick, Jennifer Capriotti, and Martina Hingis. And by 18, I was ranked top 10 in the country and playing for the U.S. national team. Now, at that point, I had the option to either go pro or go to any one of the top collegiate programs of the country. I chose college and ended up going to Duke, where even though we had a lot of success as a team, we won the program's first ever national title and had a top five national ranking every year I was there. So we did have tons of success as a team. But as an individual, I didn't live up to expectations. Not even close. I hardly played in college because our team was so strong. I struggled to make the lineup. And I was dealing with all sorts of injuries. By my junior year, I ended up having three surgeries on my right shoulder and both knees. Everything just kind of fell apart. My body, my game, my confidence... And then towards the end, honestly, my motivation to just play the game. And that's kind of how it ended. Kind of how it ended. I went from being a top 10 nationally ranked player with potential to play at the professional level to a player who was on the bench serving as a cheerleader, who then eventually ended up on the tennis IR, basically. And all that happened in a span of several years. That precipitous fall was not only really humbling, but just painful. And at the time, I didn't have the mental or emotional capacity to process everything I was going through. How did I cope? Well, two ways. First, I poured myself into my newfound career after college, which was broadcasting. I essentially replaced one consuming career and identity with another and based myself worth off my achievements once again. And second, I coped with food or lack thereof, I should say. I developed an eating disorder. And looking back, what's interesting about my transition is I survived, even thrived, and struggled miserably all at the same time. Losing my athletic identity caused so much pain and anger, which oddly not only fueled my professional success as a sports anchor, but also morphed into this unhealthy coping mechanism, my eating disorder, which I would battle for almost a decade. And that's what's so weird about mental health is that you can still be this highly functioning, even successful person on the outside But on the inside, you're broken and battling some serious demons. These things aren't mutually exclusive, people. And that's why when we hear of athletes getting into trouble off the quarter field, it's really important to look at what else is going on in their lives. Because everyone has their coping mechanisms and everyone is battling something we know nothing about. So you ask... Why me? Well, that's why. Because I was an elite athlete. 
because I struggled in walking away from the game, but also because I got help and went to therapy. I reopened old wounds and healed. I made a professional tennis comeback and I found closure. I also went back to school and got my master's in counseling psychology. And while I'm not speaking from the perspective of a mental health expert or a licensed psychologist, at least not yet, I am pursuing my doctorate so I can do both those things one day because I want to help others with their own healing process. Former NFL linebacker Joshua Perry agrees, the space is really needed for athletes. You you just hit it on the head when we talk about transition. I don't think that there are very many words strong enough. And the words that are strong enough, they're hard to find to describe what that means and how it feels. Um, and I, I really am glad that we have this forum and this platform right now to talk about it because um, it's a big deal. Like it was a big deal in that moment for me. It's a big deal right now talking about it again. Um, it's going to be a big deal for a lot of people who are going to go through the same exact thing. In this first season of the next chapter, I'll sit down with over 20 of the best athletes and experts in the world. And in these discussions, I'll cover a range of meaningful topics my guests have never touched on before at least not in the way I'm approaching it. And I want to share my process with you. And that process is to explore these five primary themes or areas with each guest. Number one, their childhood. This is where you'll hear me peppering my guests with tons of questions about their childhood and also their background. Family dynamics, parents, married or divorced, home environment, stable or abusive, neighborhood, And I ask these questions not to be intrusive, but because this tells me good information about what kinds of resources they had as a child, and also if they experienced any sort of trauma during their earlier years. Contrary to what people think, the past does matter. We may not be able to change the past, but we carry it everywhere we go, in our identities, in our behaviors, in our coping mechanisms. This is something I dive into with Marcellus Wiley, who fought his way out of Compton, California, and found his way into an Ivy League school, and then eventually the NFL. I got to see Compton pre-NWA, as I like to say, so it was rough and rugged. Like, it was really life or death. My experience where I had three uncles who were gang members. Two were murdered, and one committed suicide. This is the thing about Compton, or any adverse situation, I feel. It eats its own. Most of us don't make it out. And then when you see the select few make it out, what you see is someone who went through a rigor and a system. I mean, the diamond was crushed. There are so many of us who didn't and make that it. that perseverance, that belief in yourself beyond circumstances is what I'm talking about. And within the childhood discussion... I'll also inquire about how an athlete was first introduced to sport. One question you'll hear me ask often is this one, one that I posed to Greg Oden. Can you figure out if you gravitated towards basketball or in some ways it found you? Um, and looking at that, yes. Because it, basketball found you? Yes, because it, it was just something that I did. Like basketball was... We were at the Boys and Girls Club anyways in basketball. Did the athlete choose the sport or did it choose them? Essentially, I'm asking whether the athlete got into basketball or tennis or whatever it was for the love of the game or did they happen to fall into it because they were really good at it or maybe it filled a void in their life. 
It's a slight but important distinction to make because it gives me good intel about whether the foundation of their relationship with sport is stable or not. My whole identity was wrapped around football. The second area I explore is a formation of the athlete identity. This is when the athlete begins to internalize what he or she does with who he or she is. Former Seattle Seahawks wide receiver Doug Baldwin, in his first public interview since announcing his retirement, talks about how his athletic identity was formed. I've been playing football since I was seven years old, six years old, and so I have known nothing different. You know, my whole identity was wrapped around football and performing and um, you know seeking that validation, that false affirmation, and a lot of and and. and a, a lot of those ways. Um, so when that was removed from my life, really trying to figure out how I fit into the world and truly who I was outside of it, you know, I had to come to grips with a lot of things um, and answer a lot of questions or ask questions that I didn't even know the answer to. The third area or theme I'll delve into with my guests is what I call the athlete life. As we go in chronological order from an athlete's childhood to the formation of their athletic identity, I then take an inside look into what happens over the course of their careers. This is where I really peel back the layers on what it's like to be a pro athlete. The money, the fame, the prestige, pressure, successes, and also the failures. There's a complexity and at times an ugliness to the pro athlete life that fans fail to realize at times. So you know, I'm feeling myself a little bit, and then I go into film room because I told you the only thing I knew was just to go get the ball. And my coach is like, yeah, you fucked up here, you fucked up there, this is wrong, this is wrong. And for many, the fame and amount of eyeballs they draw for one reason or another can be uncomfortable, even paralyzing. You know, I signed the largest contract in European basketball history, uh, and the amount of attention that I got was overwhelming. And I really struggled that year, um, struggled on the court, uh, struggled off the court, uh, and kind of became a recluse. So I just stayed in my house. After we go through the athlete's career, I then touch on the fourth area, which is, of course, the retirement phase. Here, I'm curious about any significant events leading up to the big decision, what they experienced while making the decision, and what happened in the months or years following it. In a few of my interviews, I actually had some of the athletes either read their retirement announcements or watch clips of their final presser. And reliving these moments is always emotional. Like in that room, it was it was like when when you kind of prepare yourself to like, listen, I'm not gonna yeah. like let it go, but you know, and you just know it's there's like a big shift, and it's, it's not gonna be the same. I don't view it in in, in a scope of. You know, where you had your best win. I, I, I've had a lot of different different memories. and um... He was there when Grand Slam champion Andy Roddick announced his retirement at the 2012 U.S. Open. Like, my emotions post-match at Wimbledon. Like, I held it together barely, and then you go in a locker room and you're a mess for four hours. But for some reason, I was able to just kind of tighten it up um, when I had to. That whole retirement press conference, I was just trying to to kind of try to hold it together. A lot of players where I live, I, 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 I don't think I'm one of the guys who won't pick up a racket for three years. You know, I, I still love the innocent parts of the game. You know, I, I love hitting tennis balls and, um, you know, I love seeing Lastly, the, young- the fifth theme or area I touch on is mental health. And yes, mental health affects everybody. Even the biggest, fastest, most powerful athletes in the world. 
And just to be clear, mental health lies on a spectrum. It's not just about dysfunction and disorder. Mental health is also about happiness and flourishing and achieving peak performance. And I couldn't think of a better person to talk to about this than former number one overall pick, Shamiqua Holdsclaw. And you get older and you realize, oh my God, we're all going through our stuff. Um, you know, it's just like, I am who I am. You know, F everybody. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> and that happened for me, I would say 40. So here I, I am, as Shamiqua suggests, trying to become more educated about mental health and trying to change the narrative. In these interviews, we'll talk about coping mechanisms, depression, anxiety, social anxiety, alcoholism, eating disorders, bipolar disorder, but also happiness, meditation, self-awareness, self-compassion, and therapy. As you'll find out, these athletes will share some of their deepest, darkest secrets. And I encourage you to please listen to their entire story because I firmly believe that in order to fully understand someone, we must know and understand their whole story, not just a portion of it. I'm Prim Saripapat. Thanks for listening to this introductory episode of The Next Chapter. I really hope you tune in for our first episode. And hey, if you know of an athlete who has a good story and their transition from sport is one that needs to be told, let me know. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Prim underscore Saripapat. I did it. see me right now. Looking at you. I did. I did. <laughs> and that is something I did, but that is not who I am. But that is not who I am. I did it. Five night for football. I was like, all right, cool. It's the struggles that I've been through. No longer are you living for them and their applause. That is not who I am. So it's called The Next Chapter the next with Prim Saripapat. The next chapter with Prim Saripip Hat drops every Wednesday on the Athletic Podcast Network and wherever you find podcasts.